Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture here at Midweek. Thanks for joining us. Hope you're having a good day. Here's what we're going to be talking about today. You know, with all the trade news, so much of it negative these days, We, we yesterday we had Tom Vilsack on talking about good numbers for dairy exports. Today we'll talk with Joe Sheely with the U.S. Meat Export Federation about good red meat sales first half of this year. Also today we're going to talk about the big uh, announcement uh, concerning the Chesapeake Bay watershed. That Chesapeake Bay area has been a key area for the uh, environmental uh, issues uh, in this country when it comes to water quality and especially runoff into a, a watershed. And it really sets a precedent really for the whole country as we keep an eye on how that is being handled. Well, USDA, Natural Resources Conservation Service, unveiled a uh, strategy to improve the health of the Chesapeake Bay watershed. And uh, we're going to get reaction to that from the president of the National Association of Conservation Districts to see if they like the approach and what uh, the uh, government's planning on doing there. So we'll talk about that. And then we're just 20 days away from the start of this year's Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa. We'll check crop conditions in the Boone, Iowa area with a Syngenta agronomist coming up on our Farm Progress Show preview series. But right now, big event going on in Sturgis, South Dakota. Of course, the uh, annual Big Bike Rally, Big Bike Week. And Robert White with the Renewable Fuels Association joins us from Sturgis. He's there once again this year promoting ethanol. Robert, how's it going? Going good, Mike. Thanks for having me. I know I've been following you on Twitter. You've had a lot going on. You've had a chance to talk with a lot of folks about ethanol. Uh, you've been there a number of years now. Your, your ethanol and uh, your activities, you're, you're kind of part of the activities there now. Yeah, it's kind of been fun. I mean, this is our 10th year, and, uh, you know, each year it's grown a little bit, different activities, different functions, different ways to reach the intended audience here. We started from very humble beginnings to even installing a gas station out here at the Buffalo Chip Campground uh, for 24-7, 365 uh, fuel service, but we still do our free fuel happy hours, on-stage promotions. Uh, the big legends ride was Monday, got the ride our new E85 custom chopper with Sarah Palin, Tom Berenger, uh, Rusty Wallace. So it, it's been a, exciting out here as well uh, as normal, but also we've had a golden opportunity to educate thousands of people. Well, see what has happened. When you first started going out there, rubbing elbows with those big names and the big music acts and different people that were there, uh, you know, that you were saying you got to be around those people. Now all those big stars are saying, hey, we get to be around Robert White while we're here. Oh, that might be a little bit of a stretch, but it's been fun <laughs> to walk around and people point or people, you know, they, they're starting to remember us and starting to uh, get the message. And we're, we had a lot of good questions yesterday or during our free fuel uh, three hours yesterday and, and really good questions, educated questions. And we're, we're excited that that's, that's what we're here for. We're here to dispel those myths, answer those questions, and hopefully not only get them to fill their bike with, an ethanol blend but all their vehicles at home i remember when you first went out there 10 years ago it doesn't seem possible it's been that long ago i felt and you probably felt it even more that you were kind of going into the lion's den we knew there was a lot of resistance uh uh by bike riders about ethanol fuel 
and they were concerned about it harming their engines and there was a lot of resistance and that's why you went there to try to, as you said, dispel those myths, get the accurate information out to them. Uh, how much progress do you feel you've made with bikers in these 10 years? I think uh, amazing progress, to be honest. Uh, that, that first year, I told a story just yesterday, we actually had a physical, near-physical altercation with a Colorado Ranger that first year. Uh, he was not happy about ethanol and, and what, what the markets were doing uh, that particular year. But, you know, we still have the people that come up. They still have the questions. They don't know they're already using 10% ethanol in most cases, or they have a fear that E15 is going to replace E10. And so we're that's why we're here. And, and uh, we have a unique opportunity in a town, you know, the size of 6,000 normally the rest of the year. You know, half a, half a million or more people uh, here wanting to learn more. What what are some of the most asked questions and concerns that are raised about ethanol for motorcycles? Well, yesterday the uh, the second motorcycle that was sitting in line said, you know, my main concern is it burns hotter. And I said, well, sir, I've, you you surely you know know about alcohol. You know, it it always burns cooler than a petroleum based product, and and that made sense to him. I said, well, you know, ethanol is an alcohol. And I said, the, the junior, Paul Jr. bike we have over here, he claims it's burning 10 degrees cooler when we're using the 85. And I said, if you're, if you ride enough, that's a pretty important aspect. And that was it. He was done. He was in line. But the, probably the one thing we've done that, that's helped the most, Mike, is uh, I think this is our fourth year. We have poster boards up that have the warranty, uh, the fuel statements, warranty statements from all the owner's manuals of every motorcycle manufacturer telling them, uh, direct quotes what their actual owner's manual says about ethanol and they all say it's great in fact indian now for three years says you know you've got a buffer all the way up to e15 uh, so when you put the facts out which we seem to always have on our side uh, we can uh, change the conversation well you have a great story to tell and it sounds like you're making headway but i know there's still resistance there are still people out there that are skeptical so that's why you keep going back i guess right well, yeah, and I think what we're doing and, and have been able to do is, is plant those seeds. And so we're building our own army of advocates that, you know, maybe it was the free tank of fuel and they went out and tried it and said, and they go home and someone brings up ethanol and said, well, I've never had a problem using it. Uh, you know, I tried it out in Sturgis. I learned about this or that. I mean, the, the opposition is always going to be strong. It's always going to be well-funded. Um, but, you know, like I said, the ethanol industry always has the facts on their side, and that helps us tremendously. You get a chance to talk about ethanol in front of hundreds, I guess thousands, at the concerts and different events going on there this week. Yeah, last night, uh, I think I tweeted out, it was kind of bizarre, uh, farm kid from Kansas waiting for the Marshall Tucker Band to get off. Uh, that that's, was a humbling moment there last night, but, you know, tonight it's, it's, it's Eric Church, you know, one of country's biggest stars, and tomorrow it's Kid Rock, so we... We have the prime time spot to get our message out. We stand at the end of the stage in the same spot those performers are in front of you know, a crowd that could uh, peak over 100,000 easy the next two nights. And we, you know, three minutes goes quick, but we have an opportunity to talk about what we want. We promote our free fuel happy hours. If you have questions, come see us. We kick some beach balls out in the crowd. That some of them have some fuel cards attached to them, and we, you know, have fun doing it. Sounds like a great time. I, I saw one of your tweets where you saw one of your T-shirts from several years ago back. Uh, so that shows that the the message is stuck with them. Well, not only the, the message, but apparently 
we're designing uh, good enough shirts that they have some residual. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no doubt, I mean, and that, that was a perfect example of a guy that said, hey, you used to be over there and, and even remembered talking to me. So we, we are changing the, the conversation, the dialogue around ethanol, uh, maybe one motorcycle at a time. But ultimately, you know, I've, as I've always said, this is more than the, you know, three to six gallon tank they have on the motorcycles. It's about all their engines back at home. And it really does add up to some serious volumes in the end. Well, Robert, keep up the good work. Have a good time. Safe trip back. Thanks a lot for the report. Good to talk with you. Thanks, Mike, as always. Robert White with the Renewable Fuels Association promoting ethanol at the big uh, bike week activities out in Sturgis, South Dakota. All right, coming up next, we'll take a look at the first half of the year when it comes to U.S. red meat exports. Some pretty good news. We'll talk about it next with Joe Sheely with the U.S. Meat Export Federation on Adams on Agriculture. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Farmers are feeling the pain from President Trump's trade war. Brent Bible Farms in Lafayette, Indiana. Today we farm about 5,000 acres and raise primarily corn and soybeans. Free trade is essential to the ag economy. This is not a war that I signed up for. It's not a war that I want to be drafted for. Our farm and many others like ours will be one of the first casualties of a trade war. President Trump, stop the trade war. Paid for by Farmers for Free Trade. TariffsHurt.com. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache, or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented MyPillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual regardless of sleep position. MyPillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time we spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing in my home state of Minnesota. With a 10-year warranty, and you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever. 
That's right, get 50% off the four-pack of two premium MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows. To order, go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get 50% off the four-pack of two premium pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. Call 800-871-7280 or go to MyPillow.com and use promo code FARM11. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, trade is in the news a lot these days, obviously, and most of it uh, not positive at all. We're talking about tariffs and retaliation and um, potentially lost markets, things like that, and ongoing negotiations. And uh, But there, there has been some good news out there. Yesterday we talked with Tom Vilsack, president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. He talked about how dairy export numbers have been strong. Uh, today we take a look at red meat exports for the first half of the year. Joining us is Joe Sheely, vice president communications for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Joe, thanks for joining us. We have some uh, pretty good news, some good numbers on red meat exports, don't we? Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yes, uh, we just a few days ago got the first half uh, export numbers. The June results come in that give us a, a good, clear picture of the first half of the year. And on the beef export side, really good news across the board. We're on a record pace in both volume and value. Pretty amazing that we cracked the $4 billion mark in just the first half of the year. You only have to go back to about 2010 when $4 billion was a full year of exports. So that was uh that was quite remarkable. And then on the pork side, uh, there is definitely some, uh, we're definitely feeling the pinch of some retaliatory duties in Mexico and China. But there's a lot of good news, too, and pork exports are still ahead of last year's pace for the first half. So uh, some encouraging signs there as well. And what about lamb? Well, on the lamb side, we're seeing a bit of a rebound. We're, uh, we're up in a big way from last year, and last year's uh, totals were rather low. Uh, we've seen a nice uptick in the variety meat demand in Mexico, which has helped out on the volume side. But we're seeing a, we're seeing an increased uh, shipments of muscle cuts to places like the Caribbean, uh, United Arab Emirates. Uh, we've, we're starting to make some penetration into the Taiwanese market, which opened up for uh, for us a couple years ago. And then we got some really good news in July that Japan is has reopened to U.S. lamb. That's, of course, not reflected in those first half results yet, but we expect a nice bounce in the second half uh, by uh, having uh, lamb uh, once again available to uh, Japanese consumers. So some good numbers, some good news, and I guess it's a glass half empty, half full situation. This was the first half of the year. As if these tariffs and the, the trade tensions continue, we could see those impact the numbers for the second half of the year more. So that's where we'll be watching there. Right, and we uh, we made uh, want to make it really clear that the first half numbers do reflect uh, the sort of the first round of tariffs that went into effect in China. Those went into effect in April, and then uh, in early June was when. Uh, Mexico first imposed retaliatory duties on pork, but they did so at a rate of 10%. That rate uh, is increased to 20% in early July, and so uh, we could take a bit more of a hit on the July numbers. Although we were quite encouraged by pork's performance in Mexico in June, even though we were down about 7% in volume 
for from a year ago uh june of 2017 happened to be the largest month ever for pork exports to mexico so to be down a a, a bit is uh not something we want to see but to keep it in perspective we were down from a, a really a monster month uh in 2017 so we think we're holding our own in mexico obviously we want to have duty free access restored there as quickly as we can uh, but we uh, feel like we're we're doing everything we can to retain that business. And the thing with Mexico, of all the trading partners we're at odds with right now, we seem closer to getting something done with them. Kind of a first leg of uh, the NAFTA strategy seems to be get a deal done with Mexico. So that that would certainly be a boost, wouldn't it? Well, there's some encouraging signs coming out of the NAFTA talks. I believe that the two trade ministers are supposed to meet later this week, and that'll be the third consecutive week that they've had one-on-one meetings. So that's a very encouraging sign. Now, of course, the the retaliatory tariffs are in response to the uh, steel and aluminum duties that the U.S. imposed. Uh, whether that particular issue will be ironed out as part of the NAFTA talks, we, we won't know for a while. Uh, but certainly uh, getting making progress, getting a, uh, an agreement in principle on NAFTA uh, would, certainly, uh, would certainly smooth some of the trade tensions between the U.S. and Mexico. And so we, we see some encouraging signs there. We're anxious to see, uh, see how, the, how the rest of the summer plays out as far as the, the NAFTA negotiations go. Talking with Joe Sheely with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Joe, uh, tell us about the work MEF does in these countries. I mean, we we hear about the the political issues, the trade issues, but meanwhile, there's still a lot of market development work going on in these countries. Tell us about that. Right, we try to emphasize that. Uh, sometimes I think the the uh, the jargon can be too much for people, and they feel like foreign countries are buying our products. Really, it's private companies that, that buy U.S. red meat, and they buy it because they find that it's a, a product that really works for them. It's something that their customers really like, and it's a product that proves to be profitable for them. And so in the case of Mexico, for example, we're really working with the processors to show them to you know, reemphasize the advantages of having fresh U.S. pork come down just a few hours out of the slaughter plant, come down to their processing plant, uh, remind them of why that product has worked so well for them. Uh, the, the duties are something that's an obstacle that we, we can't deny, of course, but we try to, to try to really uh, work on that customer loyalty, and, and we feel like we, we, that's been an ongoing process. We don't wait until we have problems. We're working in those markets all the time. Uh, in the case of Asia, we're always looking for uh, alternative markets for some of the cuts. We actually went into this year knowing that our exports to China would be lower because that's just how the Chinese market works when their hog production cycle is up as it is now. We're looking to move lower. We're, we're looking at a situation where the reality is you'll move less product through China than you did a year ago, even even before the tariffs took effect. So we're always cultivating new markets. Uh, uh, Korea, for example, is, is just a, a market that's just on fire for U.S. pork. We're seeing really strong shipments into the Philippines now for both muscle cuts and variety meat. So that's another market that, that we're doing well in. Uh, another market that, that really is kind of an underrated hero for U.S. hams is Australia. That's uh, Australia is consistently our third largest market for hams behind Mexico and China. And so we, we move a 
lot of product there. And so market diversification is something we always emphasize. Obviously, we're still we're still doing all the work that we can in, in China and Mexico to, to solidify and re- retain that existing business. Uh, but we're always looking at, at market diversification as well in places like Latin America, Southeast Asia, and even into Africa. We're doing a lot of work there now, uh, always looking for new destinations. You know, that's a, that's a good point, Joe. Uh, you can't under... You can't understate the importance of China. It's just such a huge market. But some of these other markets are pretty significant in their own right. And if we can continue to uh, uh, make a, our presence felt there, grow and expand those markets, that uh, maybe doesn't totally make up if you lost China or had significant reduction in the Chinese market, but it can sure make a difference. Well, definitely can soften the blow. And I think that, you know, that's uh, going back to our first half numbers. We look at pork muscle cuts uh, in the first half. They're still up six percent in volume and value ahead of last year, which was a, which was an outstanding year. And so now now things have tightened a bit in May and June. Uh, there's no question about that. And so we don't want to don't want to sugarcoat that. Uh, but to be to be up year over year, even with some of the obstacles we've faced in a couple of large markets, I think that that's a testament to the importance of of market diversification and not waiting until you're having problems in your mainstay markets. We we want to be out there all the time, looking for new markets, new destinations, uh, even even in times when our mainstay markets are really hitting on all cylinders. And then it also shows what would happen if we would get these trade issues worked out, the potential that is out there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think Latin America is a good example. A lot of our buyers in Central and South America and the Caribbean, uh, they see a buying opportunity now with, with some of the issues we have with Mexico. I think they feel like they can secure some product uh, perhaps at, at, a, at a more economical price than they have in the past. And that's, you know, that's not that's not necessarily the best way to win a new customer, but you still want a new customer. And so you can build on that and you can, you know, you can make those markets, hopefully make those markets grow and expand even, even once our trade tensions with Mexico are behind us. You can't overlook the challenges, the issues uh, that we have right now in trade. But uh, the point is all the news is not bad. There are still sales being made. In some cases, maybe harder uh, than it was, but still, uh, we're we're moving product, and that's that's certainly good news. All right, Joe, thanks for the update. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate you having us on. You bet, Joe Sheely, Vice President Communications for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. I did not realize that Australia was such a big market for U.S. ham, so that's interesting. And the fact that uh, even with all these trade issues, uh, we are moving a lot of uh, red meat, although. We'll see what happens the second half of this year if uh, these trade issues are not resolved. It does get tougher and tougher with the tariffs and things like that. All right, big announcement uh, this just recently on uh, the Chesapeake Bay watershed, an action plan set for there. What's in that plan? How does it impact other watersheds around the country? We're going to talk with the president of the National Association of Conservation Districts next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. 
Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. China said to be shoring up its economy for a long trade fight with the U.S., with government data released on Wednesday showing a surge in imports of resources like coal, crude oil, and iron ore. As the U.S. moves forward with plans to impose new 25% tariffs on $16 billion in Chinese goods beginning August 23rd, Beijing saying it will respond in kind. Traders are looking ahead to a government supply demand report due from USDA at 11 central time on Friday. Analysts expect the government to show higher U.S. soybean production alongside growing domestic and global supplies. They think the corn harvest will shrink a little bit, however, compared to a year ago. On the charts, December corn settling little changed on Tuesday, hovering around 1 to 2 better on this Wednesday. A bullish breakout above the 389 and three quarters level could open the door to a test of psychological resistance around four bucks a bushel. September, Chicago wheat trending higher on this Wednesday. We erased intraday gains to close lower on Tuesday. Resistance forming at Tuesday's high at 586 and a half. We're about a dime below that an hour into Wednesday's trading day. For the Bean Bulls on November, resistance and a bullish objective seen at 9.22 and a quarter. Unable to crack that level so far on Wednesday, trading about a dime below it. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, we are trending 30 to 52 cents lower, 45 to $1.15 lower in feeder cattle, lean hog futures $1.05 to $1.80 lower an hour into Wednesday's trading session. On Wall Street, the Dow down 60 points. September crude oil in New York down a dollar 39. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her four-seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, even though you probably don't live anywhere near the Chesapeake Bay, 
what goes on in that watershed really impacts people all across this country. It's such an important area. It sets a precedent in many ways on how um, environmental issues are being handled, water quality issues are being handled. So we keep a close watch on that. U.S. Department of Agriculture's Natural Resources Conservation Service has unveiled a conservation strategy to improve the health of the Chesapeake Bay watershed. Here to talk about that is the uh, president of the National Association of Conservation Districts, Brent Van Dyke. Brent, good to talk to you again. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. So do you like this plan that the uh, USDA has come out with? You know, Mike, we really do as conservation districts um, across America, about 3,000 of them. Um, you know, we have diverse needs and, and resource concerns. So um, although I live in New Mexico, the Chesapeake is uh, an important uh, undertaking in cleaning that. And, I, you know, when we look back about 2013, then Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack um, announced the cleanup of the bay through a CEAP cropland report. And, and they set in state some initiatives to, to work on the Chesapeake. Well, on Monday, Undersecretary Bill Northey unveiled, a, a, you know, a continuation of that strategy to improve the health of the Chesapeake. And it includes, of course, uh, NACD's um, unique partner in NRCS, um, one of our core partnerships in working uh, NRCS working through the new farm bill, hopefully, that we have about September 30th. Um, you know, and a lot of initiatives to clean up that bay and to hit some real solid targets. Um, so the initiative is basically um, scheduled for 2018 through 2020. So I know there have been a lot of different efforts uh, going on. The conservation districts in that watershed have been working hard uh, on this effort. So do you feel that the government is supportive of, uh, of the approach that's been taken and the work of conservation districts so that is continuing in this plan? What we like as 3,000 conservation districts across America, we wholeheartedly believe in the uh, voluntary incentive-based conservation programs that we find uh, examples of in the Farm Bill. And when we have uh, producers, conservation districts involved in this voluntary cleanup of the Chesapeake, it really uh, supports the initiatives that, that we hold true, and that's that voluntary component of conservation and regulation. We don't want the federal government stepping in and mandating these regulations. We'd rather see the communities, the ag producers uh, working with conservation districts and our federal partners and other partners in doing the work um, of healthy watersheds, these resource concerns being met by, uh, you know, cooperative effort um, between collaboration of, of all the partners. We're talking with Brent Van Dyke, president of the National Association of Conservation Districts. Brent, that's why I say that Chesapeake Bay watershed area, for those that don't live anywhere near it, need to keep an eye on this because that really does determine the government's approach to other watersheds around the country. That why, that's why we need this effort to be successful in that Chesapeake Bay watershed. 
And that's that's correct. And with uh, Washington D.C. and the people who make those decisions, um, basically living um, close to the banks of the Chesapeake, it's a really important uh, body of water. And what happens in the Chesapeake has ripple effects across America. So, to um, you know, having all the partnerships work together in this voluntary. Um, process and hopefully to set models that will work across America is, is totally what we support. Because you said that strategic location that it is in, <laughs> I mean, if, if that didn't work, uh, the government would be, be very apt to say, well, then it's probably not going to work in other parts of the country either. That's why it really needs to uh, kind of lead the way on and showing people that uh, this locally led uh, conservation model can work and and that's that's correct and and being so close to Washington DC um, those people making those decisions have access to it and and you know can get there very quickly um, not only can they see the the value in um, the cleanup of the Chesapeake if something goes wrong they're the first to find out so we want to make sure that model is successful. Uh, we really believe in that voluntary component, and we, and we think when, when producers and, and municipalities and, and the federal government and state governments are involved collaboratively, uh, we can find success in, in making sure that we have clean water, clean air, and productive soils also brings us back to the farm bill and the importance of uh, fully funding and supporting the conservation portions of the farm bill um the farm bill is uh we're, we're optimistic um, that we we're going to have a farm bill this year uh compared to four years ago i think um this time four years ago we we're we we're positive we weren't going to have a farm bill on time um, you know, we're excited that, you know, both the, the House Ag and Senate Ag Committee got out early, did some listening sessions, started putting together their priorities. Um, you know, both houses um, found consensus within their members. Um, so, you know, we have, we have a farm bill that's passed the Senate and passed the House. Now that it goes to committee to work out the differences and we're again we're optimistic that we're going to have a farm bill for the end of the year i you know i hope we have it before september 30th um but i'll just be glad to have one uh, by the end of the year and that farm bill is so important to producers across america you know because that's that road map that's going to allow producers to invest in their own operations it's hard to do that uh if you don't know um you know the, the pulse of American uh, politics, and so understanding that we have a farm bill, which is that roadmap, is going to allow us to continue uh, to produce the food and fiber America requires. That you know quality and quantity um, that American ag producers continually come to the table with is so important. So having that farm bill um, is important, and we're excited about that. Brent, it is unfortunate that we only seem to hear about problem areas around the country, and we're not overlooking the problems and the challenges that have to be dealt with in assuring clean water and clean air. Uh, but there are so many 
good stories out there, good success stories of how this locally led conservation uh, effort is is doing good work out on the land and cleaning up our water and protecting our water. A lot of times those stories do not get told. You're correct, they don't. And, and when you look at the model of that uh, locally led voluntary incentive-based conservation that the United States has, um, that's a model that I've seen no other place in the world and when when everybody has skin in the game and, and when you're not mandating um, changes, you know, the big government coming down, uh, micromanaging that local producer, uh, the local producers uh, through like conservation planning can see the benefits um, to their environment. It, it allows them to be better stewards. And then they, you know, they get uh, that financial support from the American taxpayers, which enables the American taxpayers to eat uh, cheaper than any other society in the world and a higher quality food supply. So it's a model that does work, and we want to continue supporting that kind of model. Do you feel this administration is more supportive of uh, the locally led uh, model that you've talked about? I, I, you know, I I support any administration that allows that grassroots, locally-led initiatives um, in agriculture, and and whether it's uh, this presidency and and system or or any of the prior ones, anything that supports um, ag producers in America, you know, we're happy about. Um, There's a lot of transition happening at USDA today. I, I believe that ultimately the intent of this administration is to support ag producers um, without raising taxes, without raising regulations, and, and I think that that's good for, for America. But no matter who's uh, in charge, I, you know, I really believe that the American ag producer is the most uh, effective, efficient steward of the land in the world, and so no matter who's um, in the White House, we have got to support the American ag producers. All right, Brent, thanks a lot. And uh, we'll be watching that Chesapeake Bay watershed project uh, closely and uh, keep up the good work. Uh, you and the conservation districts are around the country do great work. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mike. Have a wonderful day. All right, that's Brent Van Dyke. He is president of the National Association of of conservation districts yeah that uh, that chesapeake bay watershed that is a key one because not only is it a, a big area but it's also so close to washington dc decision makers uh, get the you know that may not pay a lot of attention to some of those issues otherwise that one's right in front of them and uh, it, it does influence some of their decision making and whether or not we can go forward with a locally led effort as we've uh, been having or is it going to be more federally mandated and uh, more more oversight even than we've had from uh, the federal government. All right, coming up next, we're just 20 days away from this year's Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa. How do crops look in that area? We'll talk with the Syngenta agronomist next on our Farm Progress Show preview. Stay with us on AOA Adams on Agriculture. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? 
because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable Bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information, and then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Farmers are feeling the pain from President Trump's trade war. Brent Bible Farms in Lafayette, Indiana. Today we farm about 5,000 acres and raise primarily corn and soybeans. Free trade is essential to the ag economy. This is not a war that I signed up for. It's not a war that I want to be drafted for. Our farm and many others like ours will be one of the first casualties of the trade war. President Trump, stop the trade war. Paid for by Farmers for Free Trade. TariffsHurt.com. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, 
the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 800-352-1402. That's 800-352-1402. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, this year's Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa, just 20 days away. August 28th, 29th, and 30th. And uh, we continue to uh, take a look at the big show and preparations for it. How do things look for the show in our Farm Progress Show preview series brought to you by Acuron Corn Herbicide from Syngenta, an upgrade for growers who don't settle for average. Acuron is a restricted-use pesticide. Joining us is Syngenta agronomist Randy Cool. Randy, thank you for joining us. How do crops look in that Boone, Iowa area? Actually, Mike, the uh, crops in that area look uh, really good. I was just uh, up there yesterday um i think we're gonna have some good yields up there uh just a few things showing up in fields a little bit uh you know we had some heavy rains in that june time period we're seeing some uh, nitrogen deficiency starting to show up with uh, some spots and fields yellowing up and some plants uh with those lower leaves showing some symptoms uh, but overall things look really good Always a race uh, for the Farm Progress Show to make sure crops are ready uh, for field demonstrations. And uh, so, you know, they plant the shorter season varieties and things like that. So things look good, you think, as far as the field work will be, uh, that will be going on during the show? Yeah, actually, I think the uh, field work will be excellent. Uh, I was there yesterday up on the site. Uh, I pulled a few ears off just uh, looking at corn maturity and um a lot of the years I was pulling, well, that milk line was about halfway down on the kernels, so that means we're about 10 to 12 days away to black layer. Um, so in that R5.5 stage, roughly, so you know another 10, 12 days, uh, things will be black layered, and this will be down to uh, dry down after that. So, you know, corn harvest demonstrations uh, should be on track and uh, should be looking good. That's good to hear. Uh, certainly, it's been a year not without challenges, right? I mean, there were some uh, touchy moments here, there, getting the crop in, and then uh, a few challenges along the way. Yeah, we've definitely uh, been challenged. It started out pretty good. Uh, planting was pretty timely, but then uh, we had a lot of heavy rains in there, and uh, you know, to get things sprayed and just uh, you know finish up with uh, different items is a little bit tougher to get done. So let's talk a little bit, you, you touched on this, but a little more detail on, on insect and uh, d- and disease pressures. What did you see this year? Well, uh, outlook in the fields and still uh, kind of throughout the year, uh, for disease pressure in corn, the uh, gray leaf spot was probably the most common thing. Uh, even looking at plants yesterday, that gray leaf spot has continued to work its way up the plant. Uh, in most cases, it's in fairly low levels, and of course, depending on the hybrid. Uh, we did have quite a few fields sprayed with the uh, fungicides to help that out. 
a couple other diseases were pretty common there. It was common rust and then uh, bacterial leaf streak uh, in the corn. And then looking at soybeans, uh, frog eye leaf spot and uh, bacterial blight were probably the two biggest things. Uh, we're still seeing progression with frog eye leaf spot kind of moving up that plant a little bit. But uh, we're getting a little bit later in the season. And any major insect problems? Uh, in that area, Ryan by the site there, uh, Japanese beetles was probably the uh, biggest insect. Uh, they're still out there working right now. Uh, we see them in some soybean fields yet. I was just uh, within a half mile of the site yesterday, and uh, they were definitely out there yet. Not to the levels that most guys had to treat, but we can uh, definitely see some defoliation on leaves. And um, they should be winded down here pretty quick, um, so not too big a problem with that. Uh, soybean aphids have been kind of minimal. Uh, we've had them, uh, but they haven't uh, got to the levels yet that most guys would have to treat. Then on the corn side, um, corn rootworm beetles, there's a few out there, but uh, again, not at uh, extreme levels. We're talking with Syngenta agronomist Randy Cool in our Farm Progress Show preview, looking ahead to the Farm Progress Show August 28th, 29th, and 30th in Boone, Iowa. Well, so they'll be ready for field demonstrations, but looking beyond uh, the Farm Progress Show site, that part of uh, Iowa. Randy, uh, how far along is the crop? Is it going to be an early harvest uh, for others, too? Yeah, looking at uh, corn just off the site uh, yesterday, uh, a lot of it was in the milk-to-dough stage, so we're about that R3, R4 time frame, and roughly we're you know probably a week, maybe a week and a half ahead of normal, so it should be a little bit earlier harvest uh, for most people out there. And looking at beans, uh, soybeans, uh, we're in that R4, R5 Stage, so we're uh, you know full pod to beginning seed. I'm seeing seed in quite a few of the pods now. So we should uh, definitely have a timely harvest in corn side. I think it'll be a little bit more on the early side. August, of course, is soybean month, the key month for soybeans. Uh, you got you think there's good soybean potential there? I really do. Uh, you know, part of the we're going to run into is that uh, we had quite a bit of moisture there in June, so they're a little bit shorter than normal. That doesn't mean that uh, yields will be bad. Uh, we can definitely have pods closer together. But uh, that might limit yields just a little bit. And then um, all, another thing that uh, I think growers haven't thought about, uh, especially here in Iowa, is that uh, with the warm temperatures early, we had the SCN, uh, soybean cyst nematode, was hatching earlier. We'll probably have more hatches than normal. So that could be a little bit uh, on the limiting side, too, for yield potential. But overall, I think we'll have a good crop. And I was going to ask you on the corn, Randy, how's the stock quality as far as, you know, we we got to finish it out. We always talk about, you know, it's not in the bin yet, and you always worry about something happening late here. Uh, what about your stock quality in that area? Uh, I'm a little bit concerned with stock quality just because of the nitrogen deficiency. You know, the plant is uh, robbing nutrients out of that uh, plant to fill that ear. Uh, the good thing we've had around Boone, though, is that we've had uh, good moisture consistently, so uh, that will help out. But um, I think growers will want to be, you know, more timely this year and be checking fields uh, because I think stock rot could definitely be an issue. I know just outside of the site there, uh, within 30 miles or so, we've had some pretty good winds. And, um, you know, there's some corn laying around uh, that's been uh, blown over and also some of it that's green snapped earlier. So, but the boon site looks really good. All right. Well, we'll be there before long. And, uh Thousands will be coming in for the Farm Progress Show, and a big part of what they'll want to see is the field demonstration. So it's good to get an update on the crop conditions there, how things are looking. Randy, thank you for being with us, and we'll see you in Boone. Sounds good. Thank you. 
All right, Syngenta agronomist Randy Cool on our Farm Progress Show preview brought to you by Acuron Corn Herbicide from Syngenta, an upgrade for growers who don't settle for average. Acuron is a restricted-use pesticide. Farm Progress Show, August 28th, 29th, and 30th, Boone, Iowa, and uh, I'll be broadcasting all three days from the show. Hope to see a lot of you there. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. Coming up tomorrow, we'll take a get an update on some more of these uh, water quality issues around the country, more on the Chesapeake Bay and some of these other issues, what's happening with waters of the U.S. And we'll get an update on that. Of course, more on trade as well. Hope you will join us right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Have a great day, everyone. <music>